You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Good morning, I'm Nate. Um, I'm really, really glad you're all here. Um, It's a beautiful day to worship our Lord and to just fellowship together. Um, And we're continuing our sermon series um, with the Apostles' Creed. And this week we are talking about the communion of saints, um, this ancient and relevant um, idea and body. And I, um, I struggled where to go with this. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with the communion of saints, and probably more than I'm equipped for and that we have time for as I'm a, a quick preacher. Um, but I want to first connect it back to the ancient um, not so much ancient, but the, the very early church, where it came from, where it um, originated. Uh, the communion of saints, um, I won't try the Latin, uh, refers to the persons, the spiritual union, the members of the Christian church, both living and dead. They're part of a single mystical body with Christ as its head, in which each member contributes to the good of all and shares in the welfare of all. I did not write that. That's pulled from Wikipedia, FYI. Not that beautiful in my speech. But uh, we've heard this term first um, about this mythical bond, not mystical bond, united both the living and the dead um, from St. Nicias and Remincia. The term has since played a central role uh, with our formation of the Christian creeds, um, belief in the communion of saints, as you know now, is, is a confirmed in the Apostles' Creed. And we split this communion of saints into two, uh, we call churches. Uh, first is the church militant, um, not in a nationalistic, violent sort of militant, but that we are here living. The church militant is the living uh, church on earth as we fight against the powers of darkness and Satan. Um, the rulers of the world of darkness, the spirit of wickedness in the high places, it says. So not military as when we're fighting sinners, but we are struggling here on earth. And I love that because it helps us to remind us that we're not passive on this side. Um, We don't join into the body of Christ and then just wait um, for Jesus' return, but we are active and we are militant and looking to save those who are not yet saved. The other one is the church triumphant, um, which consists of those who have passed on and they're now within the glory of God, um, whatever that looks like until the final judgment. Um, So church militant, church triumphant. And today I just really want to talk about uh, the church militant. And from now on, I'll just call it the church. So I don't have to say that every time. Um, Because I don't really know much about the church triumphant. And I don't know if anybody does, but it's amazing. But we'll talk about us here on earth now. So we hear that a lot, the global church. How do we interact with it? What does that mean for individual believers? Um, Why did early church leaders put a reference to this fellowship of believers around the world in these early statements of faith? Um, Well, I think they're inspired by St. Paul, um, We call this group of people, the past, the present, the future believers, the body of Christ. And we get that from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, to Romans, also in Hebrews. But from Romans, uh, Paul talks about us as all different parts. 
or members of Christ's body, living, breathing body of Jesus. Everyone baptized into Christ is a different part of his body with their own particular calling and job for the welfare of said body. I don't want you to be confused of when I say member, not like membership, um, not like membership in a club, on a team, um, but actually body part, um, which has a lot of connotations because when you talk about membership to a club, that's something you pay for to get into or you do something to jump into and then you can also walk out of it anytime you feel uh, so wanted. But when you are a body part, the finger doesn't get to just choose to leave the body. The feet can't choose to leave the body. The knees can't leave the body. It is something that everything works in a cohesive unit. Um, As Shannon could probably tell you and any other people in the medical field, this body that we have, as broken as it is, or out of shape as it is, is still an incredible just working organism and, mechan- and tools, and it's amazing. So Paul's use of this, um, not just as a metaphor, but also that mystical truth that we, little bodies, when we're baptized into Christ, make up his body, his actual physical body, because we have actual physical bodies. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> so anytime I've like started doing a message, I started thinking about my uh, really wise times at an undergrad. And I remember in my, keeping with my slightly cynical and rebellious uh, attitude during that time, uh, it was really popular, there's a song I think, I don't know, I don't like music very much, but it talks about we're the hands and feet, or we're the body, we're the hands and feet of Christ. Everyone know that one, right? All right. So, uh, Whenever that would come up in like small group talks that you you know or chapel you had to go to, my friends and I started getting the habit of really very seriously and religiously talk about how we are the knee pit of Christ. Um, but you know, if someone has to be that, it's just a sweaty back of the knee. Anyway, twenty years old. <laughs> I'm a dad now, so I can do dad jokes without apology. You can laugh or not, and I don't care. <laughs> um, so in, back to our passage, it lays out a plan for us to be in communion, because um, that can be an abstract command, be in communion, uh, have communion. But we have an actual plan. So we see in verse 3, he says, The grace given to me, I say to every one of you, speaking to the the church in Rome and also believers in the future and all over, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Um, You know, you can turn on the TV or read a paper, um, scroll social media for five minutes, um, and sadly, you quickly will see that as a church, for the most part, we've left that little verse behind. Um, we've let the enemy divide congregations, denominations, small groups, whole church around the world by our self-righteousness and our bitterness. Um, 
you know, a big one right now in the States, you know, we use the ballot box um, as fruit of evidence of Christ. Not Christ, but how someone votes. Um, I have friends on both sides of the aisle, and, you know, I've heard liberal Christians say that if, you know, someone supports Trump, they can't be a believer. And on the opposite side, I have conservative political friends who say if a person's a Democrat, there's no way that Christ can be in that person. You know, so when did our views on political positions, however important they are, become what unifies the body of Christ instead of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the taking of his supper to remember it? You know, it's not new, though. It's not, we're not doing anything different than the church has done throughout history. You know, we have the great East-West schism in 1054, and then the Romans and Anglicans split in 1534, and time and time again, um, We've let little things, and sometimes big things, split and fracture instead of submitting to the Lordship of Christ together. You know, time and time again, we think of ourselves highly, more highly than we ought, and we, instead of thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, we think of others with sober judgment. And we're obsessed with shouting at those we see in the wrong instead of praying for them. I'm very guilty of this. Um, I can be really judgmental to other churches um, because of faults I see in their style or their theology of certain non-essentials. Um, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should never um, strive for what is right and what is true and what is good, um, but maybe have a little more grace as we do that. You know, we use our gifts to make ourselves right and look good instead of what Paul told us they were for. So let's go back to that, see what Paul told us they're for. For each of us has one body with many members or body parts, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. Let me say that one again. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Encouragement, then give encouragement. Giving, give generously. To lead, do it diligently. To show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so... That verse 5 is what really came out to me last night. Um, so we, the church, being fearfully and wonderfully made with all these gifts, gifts to serve the body of Christ, not ourselves, but each member belongs to all others. Um, we talk about that idea in marriage quite a bit. Um, if you've ever gone through a pre-marriage counseling or post-marriage counseling afterwards, it, it talks about if a husband constantly looks to the needs of his wife and the wife constantly looks to the needs of her husband, then there's that cycle of service. So each person will be serving and then being served and it's beautiful and wonderful. But Paul shows us that we, can bring, we should bring that attitude and action to the entire church, um, which is this beautiful picture of how marriage is not its own separate thing, but it's the same as being within the body of Christ. It's just... There's other things that come with it. 
the family we've been invited to and adopted into by the death and resurrection of Christ continually calls us to serve each other. And when we do that, you'll be receiving service as well. God asks you to empty yourself time and time again. But remember, he's asking everybody of that, so someone will be pouring back into you. It's, a, it's an incredible cycle he set up. And as a body, we remember that and we celebrate that. Uh, we mark it by baptism and we remember by the Lord's Supper and fellowship with one another. Um, that baptism, as we were saying, yes, I'm entered into this body. I'm baptized into this body. Not for ourselves, but always for others. So last, lastly with the passage, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So here's our call now for the care of this body of Christ. Again, he goes back to focusing of lifting others up above ourselves, being devoted to one another in love, honoring one another above ourselves. And we have this great picture of Christ. He's not asking us to do something he has not already done. He stepped away from his godly rights in heaven. He lowered himself to be a human being, one of his own creations, born in a dirty barn, and then further humbled himself even unto death, yes, death on a cross. And last week, uh, Mr. Thompson said, I loved his, what we talked about, that our adoption by Jesus is free, and we don't do anything for it, but our call from him costs us everything. It costs us the right to put ourselves and our own needs above any other sister or any other brother in our body. And not just here at Gateway, but this is everyone who's baptized into the body of Christ. You know, people who may have left our church in a way that wasn't fun and wasn't beautiful and loving, we're still called to put their needs above our own, to serve them as Christ has served us. That means reaching across aisles where you think maybe that church gets a lot of things wrong. It means focusing on your neighborhood, your city, your country continent, your world. It means not sacrificing biblical doctrine for the sake of staying relevant in our culture. Because as I said earlier, the communion of saints is past, present, and future. We must look to the needs of those yet to come more than our own here now. This communion of saints, this body of Christ, so central to our faith. And this might come across wrong, to people, but Jesus doesn't give us the option of following him without being part of his body. Can't happen. There's no salvation apart from his body because it's him. So it's the same as saying there's no salvation apart from Christ, and Christ's body is the body of Christ. Not a local church. I'm not saying if you're not a member of a local church, you can't be a Christian, but if you are not 
entered in and baptized into the body of Christ, you're not a Christian. The saints departed and the saints still here fighting. This is why I have a aversion to the phrase personal relationship with Jesus. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it, does it talk about Christ redeeming individuals. We're adopted into a body of believers, into a commune, a communal worshiping body. It's so much bigger than us. There's no reason, to, it would, there would be no reason to look to the needs of others if we are focusing on our personal, personal relationship with Jesus. But when we focus on our communal relationship with Jesus, of course, the hand will help the foot and the leg will help the torso and etc., etc. Our communal relationship with Christ is everything. Without, without part of the body, the rest of the body fails and gives up. This is why we receive the bread and the cup from a brother or a sister. Um, it's communal, and that should be mirrored in, in our, our daily lives, uh, living life together, crying together, pain together, joy together, happiness together. Time and time again, you, you read through the epistles and the gospels, and Jesus continually calls us into relationship with this first triune God and then the believers, the great cloud of witnesses. So I want you to hear that. Maybe someone needs to hear that, that you're not alone. You were alone before being called into the body, but if you're called into the body, you now have this great cloud of witnesses, dead, alive, and coming, that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why when we come to the table, we believe this holy sacrament is so much more than just symbolic. You know, the Eucharist is communion between believers living here on earth and those living already in the glory of God and with, as an entire body, with Christ and God. We continue to remember and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. We're not alone. And we join him to make all things new here on earth. And if you've gotten anything from what I've said today, I hope it's this, um, a practical step, I guess. Start praying intentionally for all believers, not just your friends or your small group or even just Gateway. All believers, believers that you've had issues with, uh, believers that you don't know. It's, it's a great thing about uh, prayer in Christ is we get to pray for people we have no idea who they are. We've never met them and maybe you never will this side. Start actively looking for ways to serve your sister or your brother in Christ. Actively ways that you can disciple disciples who disciple disciples, etc., etc. God has given you gifts to do this. All these gifts we talk about in the New Testament, this is the point of them. Not so that you can be glorified, you can be popular, people can look to you and say, wow, they're doing great, but that you can serve and minister to his people, and through that, God is magnified and glorified. Um, you know, and 
a great picture um, of a saint doing this actively was my good buddy Grant. Um, he and I disagreed on 75% of things we thought. Um, and I love being right. I'm a eight and a seven on the Enneagram. So um, early on, I don't know what he said. Something offensive probably to me. <laughs> and I remember like, well, check him off for non-friend at Gateway. And uh, this was early on. And I think it was next Sunday. He hugs me. And I don't like getting hugged anyway, but when it's a grizzly bear that you're annoyed with, it's worse. And he's like, I really ticked you off last week, didn't I? I'm like, yeah, you're quite astute. He's like, it's all right, I love you, and I'm, you're not getting to choose whether you're being my friend, you're a Christian, and you're my brother. And I was like, ah, dang it. <laughs> but how beautiful is that? And he would have never called himself this religious, saintly man, but that is the picture of the communion of saints. We don't, we don't let petty differences divide our communion. Christ never changes. He never goes away. So that means our communion amongst each other never changes. Never goes away, only deeper. As Lewis says in Narnia, further up, further in, never backwards. Never sitting the same. So as we prepare for our Lord's Supper to commune with the great cloud of witnesses and with our Lord and Savior, search your hearts. Where, where has the enemy put division in your heart? Where has he put bitterness and self-righteousness? It's all over me. Don't try to think I'm trying to just exonerate you. Where do we need to reach out? Where do we need to lower ourselves and raise other people? This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.